0: Amen. Praise the Lord. Remain standing for prayer, if you would. And uh, you know, praise the Lord. It's Easter. Lots of good things happen on Easter, right? Uh, good things happen on Easter, like uh, poor Ahimplo, Uh We ran out of handouts, and uh, but it's a good thing. We it's a good thing we're out of handouts, and we reprinted them. So now there's a second edition. If you did not get a handout bulletin when you came in, raise your hand. And Brett or somebody will come by and get that to you. Okay, raise it high so he can see it as you're standing here in the crowd. And we'll have Brett and I don't know any of the other guys have any extras there. So as they are getting that to you, uh, another good thing is, uh, you know, the school built some parking really close to us. So we've got more parking. Good thing about Easter. Good thing about Easter. We've met with the... uh, city of Blue Springs uh, regarding uh, us constructing some more space, particularly for adult classes and teaching educational space. And so we've had that meeting. We are uh, in process of, you know, going to be choosing a general contractor and try to go forward with that. A uh, good thing about Easter is that not, do we have, not only do we have uh, parking that is close, we have overflow seating that is close. And it's right up there in the mezzanine. And the mezzanine is actually, it looks like an overhang here into the Sanctanasium. But that is the mezzanine. We probably ought to just open that up and have a balcony uh, for, for times like this. But uh, it is the mezzanine. Now, good thing that's the Himalayas. If you make the trek, the stairs, the, the stairs are right there in the corner. If you make that trek, the guru... The guru is up in the mezzanine, and he will answer all your questions. And if you're the first one to make that trek, you get to be the guru. Right, 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 right. And uh, although I thought I saw maybe Lance and his family and Rich and his family, so if you see them, tell them they got to be the guru and answer everybody's questions. And so that I'm going to pray here, and so we're going to pray. And as we pray, if you're thinking, man, oh this is too much and it's too big a crowd, my anxiety, well don't leave. Just just go up to the mezzanine and get all your questions answered. And uh, also as I pray, and I don't see too many spots where this is the case, I don't know if we even have any where it is the case, but I was gonna say if you're sitting on the end and there's more than one empty seat in between you, then as I pray you could kind of scooch over to the person on the you know, in the middle-ish. And become their friend and leave the empty seat on the side. Uh, uh, but praise the Lord for that. Uh, so go ahead and bump elbows with your neighbor and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, we come before you at this time. We ask that you give us a word. Lord, this Easter Sunday, we need to break out. We need a word that will help us escape. We've got to get out of the mess that we're in in our life, the mess we're in as a society, the mess that we have going on around us. Lord, help us today. That's what Easter is all about. I mean, I know it's a celebration of what you did that first Sunday after your crucifixion. And you came up out of the grave triumphant, victorious, offering us free salvation because of your finished work. But Lord, that wasn't a stopping point. That was the starting point for us today. Make us willing to follow you, we ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Thank you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And, uh, you know, this is a contrarian Sunday because we're kind of a contrarian church. Now, what I mean by that is every other church you would have gone to today, they would have been having Easter egg hunt out in the yard, and they happen to get good weather this, this year. Uh, that's not always a certain thing, but they're doing an Easter egg hunt. And what that means is... If you go to their church then all your kids come out crazy. And they will have so much sugar in them and they will you will be cussing if we did that you'd be cussing us this afternoon and maybe they'd be cussing. You know that you know sugar is a poison but it makes you crazy before it kills you. And so I'm not saying your kids won't get some candy here today. I'm not saying they won't take some home with them. But we're trying to do a balance. And so, um, you know, I like ideas that kind of come from the grassroots, ground up, and instead of me saying what has to be done, so they came up with the idea to do an escape room on Easter Sunday. And I thought, well, okay, if they're going to do escape rooms, and I'll do a series on escape rooms for things to escape from, as we look here in the life of Christ, actually. And I don't often do a topical series like this, but... If I do, I try and make it good. So we'll be back in Daniel next Sunday. But for this Sunday, you know, I thought, well, let me, let me make it even unexpected because Jesus was just like that. And the run-up to Easter was so contrarian to what we think about Easter should be or even who we think Jesus is. And so we've been giving you some keys to your release from four separate escape rooms. And the escape room, you know, is where a team of players get together. They're given certain clues. They have to solve a certain problem in a certain amount of time so they can escape from the room that they're trapped in. And we started week one showing you how to escape from ignorance so that you are clear about Jesus, about his mission, about God's purpose for your soul in his eternity. And week two, we showed you how to escape fear, because while it is not the millennium yet, it's also not the Great Tribulation. And so God gives you truth right now that will enable you to triumph. And then last Sunday, we talked about how to escape darkness. And in the wake of the school shootings and killer weather events that are still going on, How to keep from embracing the darkness within yourself and the darkness that is swallowing our society. And how we can shine light to dispel the darkness of evil in our world. So I wanted to wrap up this Easter Sunday with the ultimate escape since Easter is essentially an escape. And what I mean by that is, number one... Easter is an escape from the grave. Jesus escaped because the tomb is empty. And not only is the tomb empty, but John tells us in chapter 20 of his gospel, verse 7, you see this on your handout, the napkin, which was about his head or surrounding Jesus' head that they had over his head, was not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. That shows that, first off, nobody stole the body. Because everything we know from plundered graves that thieves have been in, from Greek or Egyptian tombs, they don't do it like that. If you've ever been robbed, you know that they don't do it like that. They leave everything a mess. And second, it shows how Jesus was not in a hurry. He took his time in order to do this. This was his style. They knew this as his kind of calling card. He cleaned up after himself and so he was free when he arose and this is number two easter is an escape from death and jesus said to martha before he raised her brother lazarus from the grave in john 11 verse 25 i am the resurrection i am the life now what's the result of that Well, the result of that is that he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live, like Lazarus, and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? The psalmist asks the salient question in Psalm 89, verse 48, what man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul? From the hand of the grave, Selah. Now, Selah means that this is a second Advent context in this psalm. So, at the second coming, there are some who will be delivered from the grave. But right now, for the person who is a Christian, by believing on Jesus and being born again, Jesus... Tells us as a certain truth, a truth with certainty in John chapter 8, verse 51 Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, what saying is that? Well, the thing I just told you, what I just said to you, whoever believes on me gets everlasting life. If you keep that saying, he shall never see death. Now, that's a twist. Because that means that for the Christian, for the person who is saved, their body may be dead right now, but their soul goes to be with Jesus. And just like the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 8, we are confident, uh, verily, verily, with certainty, I say, and willing, rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. So Jesus was free. When he, he was free, free, he was free, 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 whenever he arose. Therefore, I can push this another further. Because number three, Easter is essentially an escape from the ultimate confinement, and that is hell. And if you will turn with me now to Matthew chapter 21 in your Bible, you can follow the backstory to our story with me. Let me give you the context to our text for today so that the text doesn't become a pretext for something I want to say. Let's make sure we are listening to what God is saying. Jesus rides into Jerusalem, offering himself as her king on last Sunday, which was Poem Sunday, Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. The city is moved and the multitude are amazed and... When he gets there, Mark tells us, look, look on your out." at Mark chapter 11, verse 11. And Jesus entered into Jerusalem and into the temple, and when he had looked round about upon all things, and now the eventide was come, so he couldn't really do anything about it. He went out unto Bethany with the twelve. And then after that amazing arrival on Sunday, the the Son of Man offering to the sons of men to be in his kingdom. On Monday morning, Jesus and the disciples head back to Jerusalem, and on the way he finds a fig tree on which he is expecting fruit. And the fig tree is a picture in Bible type of the nation of Israel itself. So because both the tree and the temple, which he had observed are fruitless, he curses it. When they get to the temple, meek and mild Jesus makes a whip. He turns over the cash registers. He throws out everybody who's buying, selling, and making money by changing money in the court of the Gentiles. And then he tells them. I mean, he gives the answer to their question up front. Later on, the Pharisee's going to ask, you know, Why'd you do this? Who gave you this authority? But he tells them right up front that his house, now wait, he calls their temple, God's temple, his house, and says that it would be called a house of prayer. And Isaiah 56, verse 7, which he is citing, has God himself saying, mine house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. And in Mark's account, Mark records how Jesus goes on and says, all nations will call it a house of prayer. But Jesus says, look, you guys have made it a den of thieves. So on the way back to Bethany, the disciples see how the fig tree that Jesus had just cursed on the way into Jerusalem is already withered away. And when they marvel at that, he replies to them. He says, look, if you have faith, then you will also be able to remove a mountain. Putting that generation of Israel's leaders, the government, the mountain, the kingdom that they had set up clearly in his crosshairs as an obstacle to be removed. That was Monday. So on Tuesday, he's met in the temple by the chief priests and scribes themselves. And Mark adds that the elders were there also. And they start to challenge his authority for the way that he arrived in the city on Sunday and for everything he did on Monday, cleansing his own temple. And he silences them first by asking them a question that they are not willing to answer. Was John's baptism, was it from heaven or did he just make it all up? Now they plead ignorance on answering that because, you know, they don't want to admit John was really the forerunner of the Messiah, who was legitimately calling them to repent, by the way. And so whenever they don't want to answer him, he doesn't answer them. Jesus just does an end run and he overwhelms dysfunction with function, he starts teaching in parables. And first he confronts the rulers directly about their rejection of him as the son of God, chapter 21, verse 42, and then he threatens to grind them into powder, verse 44. So after the chapter break, you know, after the bump and the commercials and, okay, you got four minutes here, go up, you know, go get, go to the bathroom and refill your coffee. You know, get another bag of popcorn and come back. So after the chapter break, the Pharisees and Herodians, now that's the separatist fundamentalist and the Republicans, decide to entangle him in his talk. They lose. So then the Sadducees, the mainline liberals and Democrats, they try and they fail. Finally, a lawyer asks him a question, and even he's got to admit Jesus gives the best answer possible according to the scripture. So when we reach our text for today, Matthew 23, Jesus is set to answer two salient questions for you this Easter Sunday. How can I get people to acknowledge what they are doing and understand the consequences? And how can I give a generation who does not want to be lumped in with their leaders an escape from sharing in their judgment? And Jesus starts by doing something we never imagined He could do because our text for today, Jesus is delivering a withering condemnation which the Bible describes as a woe. Verse 13, look at verse 13. But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you have shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For ye neither go in yourselves neither suffer ye or allow ye them that are entering to go in. Now, woe is an Old Testament words. It is a warning word, is a, is a consequence word, if that warning is not heeded. And it refers to sorrow and distress and inconsolable grief. Because woe is a word related to wailing as an act of lamentation. Now think about this with me for a second. The context of Matthew's gospel, back in chapter 5, Jesus starts off his three and a half year ministry with eight beatitudes, eight promises of happiness and blessing. That's what a beatitude is. But in Matthew 23, Jesus ends his earthly ministry pronouncing eight woes on the scribes and Pharisees. Now, why is that, I wonder? Well, because the scribes are the custodians of Scripture. (coughs) I mean, they're the walking concordances so that the people can know what the Scriptures can actually say. And the Pharisees, well, they are the ones who claim to believe that Scripture And therefore, apply it to the people. You know, so they interpret it. The scribes say what it is. The Pharisees interpret it. So this is the last public sermon of Jesus. And this morning, he gives us a glimpse of the man of severity at his second advent. While he's on the way to be the man of sorrows, dying for your sin at his first advent. Here are eight woes, eight warnings about the false spirituality of hypocrites. Here in Matthew 23, look at it with me if you would. (coughs) Now let me open a window on just what's happening here because, you know, we just came through Mardi Gras and all that. And um, in the original Mardi Gras, masks were worn because... Um, It would protect the identities of certain individual members of secret societies, and it was those secret societies who had sponsored the parades for the masses. And so the masks let those individuals behave differently among the masses than they normally had to behave. And so they chose how to identify, and it allowed them to uh, live their alter egos And it was as if for a time that the the person wearing that mask had been transformed into somebody else. And that is exactly the accusation that Jesus is leveling at the scribes and the Pharisees. They were hypocrites. They were hiding behind a mask. And their hypocrisy, their acceptance of the denial of waking reality allows them to choose to appear as someone they're really not. So here's our thesis for today's study. The greatest spiritual battle that you will ever face is with the hypocrites. And here's why I chose this Sunday sermon, contrarian as it is, as Jesus was in the run-up to Easter. I chose it because Jesus is on your side. So if you ever stopped believing in God because of the legalists, Jesus is on your side. If you ever stopped going to church because of the hypocrites, Jesus is on your side. If you ever thought that you could do better on your own, you would just take your chances. Jesus is out in no uncertain terms to condemn the people who made you think that way. And that's because their deception is so subtle. It makes you believe that their false humility is reality. It makes you believe that their deception is God's honest truth. So Jesus and the scholars and commentators of his day represent two different and divergent views of spiritual transformation. And one is focused on the outside, just the visible but the unnecessary practices designed to separate them from pagan society. So the Pharisees are aiming for false transformation. And Jesus is focused on the inside, a discipleship process to make his followers the change agents for society itself. And see, the problem is in the bondage that comes from false spirituality. And this is the first problem. False transformation ruins you because it keeps you from receiving the relationship that Jesus offers you right now. It robs you of the abundant Christian life. It robs you of true transformation, which you get by believing on Jesus and being born again. So instead of bringing you close to God, it pushes you further away. And second, it not only ruins your Christian experience, but this letter B their false authority robs you because it keeps you from receiving the power that the Holy Spirit brings you. And Paul talks about these same hypocrites in 2 Timothy chapter 3, people who have a form of godliness. I mean, they look so good on the outside, but they deny the power They deny the word of God. They deny the scriptures. They deny that the spirit of God is going to answer to the word of God and give you the power. So they deny the power thereof. And Paul says, look, from such turn away. They are hollow hypocrites, whereas the word of God does the work because it works on the inside. And the Spirit always answers to the Word. So when we get people responding to the Word and not to the traditions of the scholars and the pastors and the hypocrites, then you are able to live in God's power. Now in the final analysis this letter C, false salvation condemns you because God has His own purpose for your soul in eternity. Your salvation, life after death, entering God's heaven is not based upon what you do or do not do, either for God or for them. It's not based on that. It is based solely on your belief, your faith, your trust, your claim on what God did in Jesus in his finished work on the cross. And speaking of his work that he came to do on the cross, Jesus says... In John 3, verse 14, even so, in other words, in the same way, Nicodemus, I've been talking to you about the serpent that Moses put up on a, on a pole. And whoever would look would live even after they were bitten by the snake. In that same way, by crucifixion, by me being lifted up, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now that's a contradiction to every other religion out there. You want a study of comparative religions? Man, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now you see why Jesus is so harsh. He is defending you. These are the people who make you reject him. These are the people who make you doubt his own words. And he is assigning to hell. Those who condemn you to it with them because of their hypocrisy. So the opening is bad. I admit it's kind of really bad. uh, Because Jesus does not like your mask or your mess. And God does not accept what you are hiding behind. Because it is giving you a false sense of identity. As if you were spiritual. Spiritual. But if you are the leading hypocrites, then the end game for you is the worst. Verse 33, look at the end of it. The verse 33, here's the end. Ye serpents, ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Okay, now we're set up to see what Jesus wants to say to you this Sunday. And uh, if woes are warnings to repent or suffer the consequences then what is the danger for you and me today? How can we find the keys to this ultimate escape? What must you do today to avoid the condemnation and receive the consequence of your current hypocrisy? Well, number one, stop trusting in human reasoning over God's written words. Let God's words be the authority, not your thoughts or somebody else's. Matthew 23, verse 14. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye devour widows' houses, and for a pretense, make long prayer. Therefore ye shall receive the greater damnation. Now wait, this verse is an illustration of exactly what I'm talking about. I mean, these words are so enlightening that they're light was immediately extinguished by the scholars and the textual critics out of Alexandria, Egypt. Therefore, just try reading this verse in the Christian Standard Bible. ain't there. Uh, Just try reading it for me out of the ESV. It ain't there. The New American Standard Bible is not there. The NIV, it is not there. And that verse is not there because five unsaved scribes who published the modern Greek New Testament text, they decided it should not be there. Well, if that don't beat all, what hypocrites, what kind of hypocrites are we as evangelicals to let them do that to our Bible and then accept it and say that, well, you know, that's, that's, that's God's words also. You know, the problem is not that the verse is hard to understand. That's not why they took it out. Uh, The irony is that it's so clear. The American humorist Mark Twain said, it ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It is the parts I do understand. So uh, just dissect this with me for a second. Here's somebody who gets the title deed to a widow's house because they offer to pray a long prayer for her now do you know anyone any religious denomination or any televangelist who promises a surviving family member blessing if they will only turn over to their church or turn over to the priest or turn over to their ministry what their loved one had left behind see verse 15 goes with verse 14 in this passage and Jesus says there woe Unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For ye compass sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he's made, ye make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Because a convert is always more zealous than anybody who's born into it. Anybody who's born into the cult, okay, they don't even hardly care about that. But, you know, if you're a convert to it, oh, you, you are out... Knocking on doors, you know, and giving people uh, uh, magazines. And so apparently, verse 14 was too hot to handle for the scholars in Egypt or the shysters of the imperial church in that day and age. And so with their good reasoned scholarship, they cast doubts on the words of God and place the certainty only on their arguments and their tradition. And Jesus is woeing them because they are filling their Bible schools, their colleges, their universities, their seminaries, their ministry training with other skeptical students just like them. So they set up their missions ministries, making even more converts and more recruits, just one more devotee. One more disciple for their apostle. And when they get that person, they are much more strict on him than the leaders are on themselves. Hello, somebody. What is the keys to escape? Number two, stop trusting in your church over God's offered kingdom. Verse 16. Woe unto you, ye blind guides, which say, whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple oh yeah no he's gonna have to pay that debt i mean if he if it's a contract and you're swearing by that the gold is going to make you the debtor Are you fools and blind for whether it's greater the gold or the temple is sanctified the gold whosoever shall swear by the altar it is nothing but whosoever sweareth by the gift that's on the altar he is guilty Ye fools and blind, for whether is greater the gift or the altar that sanctifieth the gift. They are covetous of the gold for their church, for their work, because they are stuck on a buck. They've got to stay in power so that they can bank the gold. They do not accept Jesus as the light of the world and the light of the word of God to define life for them and become the authority. And yet, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter 1, verse 19, there in your handout, we have also a more sure word of prophecies. He's not talking about the type of prophetic utterances you may see today. He's talking about the word of God once it's been written down, because he says, he tells them, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn." And the day star arise in your hearts. It's an inner work of the Word of God. And they praise the widow while robbing her of her real estate. And they cannot eat the altar, but they can eat the offering placed on the altar, so their God is their belly. Romans sixteen eighteen, Philippians three nineteen. And all of their religiosity, when you reduce it down to its lowest denominator. Is just there to exercise authority, maintain dominion, and keep a high standard of living for themselves. So instead of taking up their cross and denying themselves and becoming a servant by ministering to others, how do we escape? Number three, stop trusting in your activity over experiencing God. Verse 16. <clears throat> Uh, down in verse 23. Verse 23, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye pay tithe of mint and annas and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith these ought ye to have done and not to have left the other undone. Verse 28, skip down to verse 28. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. You are doing the things, certain things you do are good. Okay, you ought to keep doing those. But in no way does an outward righteousness make up for missing the weightier matters judgment, which is justice, mercy, and faith. Jesus is going to send the hypocrites to hell because with the hypocrites out goes judgment, which brings biblical justice, out goes mercy for the lost, the poor, the wounded, and hurting, out goes faith in the Bible in God, in his promises, and his words, and the only thing left is something you can eat. How do we escape the consequence of verse 33? Number four, stop trusting in your church tradition over personal repentance and conversion. And this is exactly why so many people will not listen to the gospel even in here today. First, they throw out the truth because they say that we've lost the true words of God. And a bunch of skeptical scholars only recently discovered it. No, oh, you've got to trust them. Then they throw out the truth because people are loyal to a corrupt system. Then they throw out the truth because they experienced hypocrites somewhere in their life, and so they blame it, blame it all on God. And in the final analysis, some throw out the truth because they look to their tradition. Watch, verse 29. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! Exclamation point. Because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore, ye be witnesses unto yourselves that you are the children of them which killed the prophets. Fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. So here's a summary of the history of the ancestors of the whited sepulchres of verse 27. Did you notice the unscathing sarcasm of verse 32? The scathing sarcasm. He says, Jesus tells him, Look, go on with your bad self then. Go ahead and fill up what your, you know, what your father started. Why don't you finish? You're going to do it anyway. You're going to end up sending me to the crow, You're going to end up crucifying me. So I'm not concerned about you. I do not care. I am concerned, Jesus says, about the sheep that you false shepherds are leading astray. Well, you know what? They didn't use up all the whitewash in Jesus' day. And they have these... You know, plenty, there are plenty of communities that have a false apostolic line down through the centuries of mocking, ridiculing, and ostracizing those of us who trust in Holy Scripture as God's words, in Jesus as the way, and in true spirituality by the Holy Spirit, and in forsaking church tradition to simply get back to the Bible to become part of a New Testament church, to believe and live in simplicity, 2 Corinthians 1.12 and 11.3, with the justice, mercy, faith, and yet power of earth's earliest Christians. So to those who mock us for believing the Bible that we have, Jesus says in verse 33, ye serpents... Ye generation of vipers, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? They cannot. But this is the ultimate thing for you to escape this Easter. So here is a Jesus totally alienated from the spirit of our age. He is an outsider to modern religions and denominations of Christianity. He says they are leading people to hell. And they should not be tolerated as either righteous, spiritual, or worthy of following. Maybe you were deceived in the past. Taken advantage of. Robbed of your savings. You want to blame God. Maybe your life is in disarray. You've lost your dreams. You've been feeling defeated and overwhelmed and frankly crushed. Is there any escape after all that has happened? Jesus is your victory. On the cross, Jesus won the battle for every human being. Because 1 John chapter 2, verse 2 says, he is the propitiation for our sins. And a propitiation means his suffering was the payment for your sin in hell. And now you can escape. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. But it does not apply if you don't ask for it. God doesn't force that on you. He he does you won't accept it if you don't believe it. How do you know it worked? How do you know that God accepted him because on the 3rd day he rose again? The word Easter really simply means from the east. The sun is, and I don't know about, you. know I'm not sure about the uh, connection between Easter and Ishtar, but I do know etymologically, it simply means from the east. The sun has arisen because the son of God paid for your sins. So Easter is our celebration of Jesus' victory. And we invite you into that light today. Do not end up being condemned because you are just as bad as the hypocrites that you used as the excuse for not believing God, not believing His Word, and not getting saved. You've got to cross the line of faith. You've got to step into that victory yourself. You need to make a life-altering decision today and choose to escape. And that decision will change the destiny of your soul for eternity. Because that decision, followed by discipleship, will change your very personality. It will begin conforming your character to Christ. Your soul will be made free as soon as you believe the truth. Jesus said that, John 8, verse 32. And the Spirit will answer to the Word in order to lead you into God's future for you starting today. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You know, the gospel, word gospel means good news. And the good news is that God sent his son Jesus to atone for your sins by being punished for them in your place. He died, he was buried, and he's risen and alive right now. You don't pray to somebody who's dead. They do that in other religions. They pray to ancestors and others who are dead. No, we pray to someone who's alive and hears our prayer. You must receive him by trusting and believing in him in order to be saved. All the way through the Gospels, it says you need to repent. Your belief is repentance. You need to be converted. Your, repent, your belief in repentance leads you to conversion. And when you do that, when you simply believe, Jesus gives you His own everlasting life, and because He is the life, and you are born again, you will not perish, because you have made the ultimate escape. So, if you're listening to me today, and you've not gotten saved, you know you need Jesus. You know you need to escape. You've heard today how Jesus is the way. All you have to do is pray. Just your heart to God, knowing that he hears. Just pray right now. Just pray right after me and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. I need out. I need to take off the mask. I need an escape, and I need the hope that lives here. So, God, I trust Jesus today. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. I ask you to forgive me of my sins and put your new life inside of me. Because from this day forward, I belong to you, Jesus, as my Lord. Now, if you go ahead and look up, go ahead and stand, uh, go ahead and stand if you would. If you prayed that prayer for the first time and you cross that line of faith today, I'd like you to come up and let us know. Either come up right now, come up while we're singing, come up as soon as we're done singing, meet with one of our personal workers up here at the front, at the head of the aisles. Because if you prayed that, I want them to give you a copy of my booklet, that I've, my book I've written on Next Steps for New Believers... And if you get fed here and attend here, you want to be a member here, come up and talk to him about that. Let's, you know, maybe you filled out a visitor card. That doesn't make you a member. Even if you're giving money, that doesn't make you a member. So come up and talk to us about that. And if you, you know, getting baptized does not save you. But if you're saved and you want to say, okay, Alan, you're right. I, now I need to tell the world that I am all in. Well, we're doing baptisms in just a couple of weeks. Come up and let us know so we can get you on that list. Next Sunday, uh, we'll study chapter 11 of Daniel's prophecy. Praise team, send us out singing.